I can literally remember I said, look, I'm, I think I'm going to try to get to five years, you know, <laughs> and then I signed an extension and, and I just in my mind, I said, you know what? I want to play till I'm 40. 13 seasons of professional football can go by in a flash. And I was grateful for every second of it. This game gave me everything, not without taking a few pieces of me along with it. Playing offensive line, it's been one of the most rewarding and fulfilling experiences of my life. Now, thanks to Audible, I look forward to sharing insights and stories with you of our favorite NFL stars and, of course, the fraternity of athletes that protect them. Offensive linemen are eternally bonded, and I am proud to forever be a part of the Blocking Brotherhood. I'm Ryan Khalil. And this is Block Forever. Welcome back to the show. As always, nice to be with you. I hope you're savoring these last couple weeks of the regular season before playoffs. I know I'm still getting used to the speed of the season as a fan. You know, as a player, it goes by pretty slow up until about Halloween. And then after that, it just flies. But as a fan, I got to tell you, it feels like it just goes by in the blink of an eye. On today's show, I've got a great interview for you. I'm speaking with one of the classiest guys to ever play on the offensive line, former Bengals and Rams tackle Andrew Whitworth. Big reason I wanted to do this show was to help dispel the stereotype around offensive linemen. The O-line, you know, we always get the phrases of big uglies. We're sort of these mindless banging into each other, all game fat cows the meatiest of meatheads. Andrew Whitworth is the exact opposite of that. He is the epitome of what I think an offense alignment is and should be. So excited for you to hear our conversation. We're doing God's work over here, I tell you. Big Whit played 16 seasons in the National Football League. As you remember, he went out in style with a Super Bowl win. He finished his career at the age of 40. Holy cow. It's the oldest tackle in NFL history, which is just mind-boggling. I think back to my final season in the league at age 35, and the thought of playing five more seasons absolutely was not possible in my mind. Before we get into the interview, quick note, check out Thursday Night Football on Amazon Prime. This week, it's an NFC West matchup as the Niners head to Seattle to take on my former coach Pete Carroll and the Seahawks, so make sure to tune into that one. Should be a good one. And now, on to my interview with the one and only... Andrew Whitworth. All right, we got the Louisiana kid, Andrew Whitworth. What's going on? I This is a weird interview for me because I'm a big fanboy of yours. Looked up to you for a lot of years. You grew up in Louisiana. Where'd you grow up? Yeah, North Louisiana. I, I originally was born in Monroe, Louisiana, and then moved over to West Monroe, a whopping two miles over to the uh, west. And, uh, you know, went to high school there and everything else until I ended up down in Baton Rouge. Did you come from a football family? No, I did not. No football family. I, uh, I always said my parents, you know, furthest thing from football people. And my mom was a school librarian and a school teacher for 37 years. And my dad was a computer programmer, the old data processor. So, you know, blank screen with the little green dots on it, blinking. You know, he, he uh, no windows in his office. Just super exhilarating when you stop by to see him uh, during the day. So how did you get into it? 
Um, you know, I honestly, I just grew up loving to, to play sports. My dad was kind of like an intramural guy. Like he loved tennis. He played a little bit of golf. So he was an active guy and I kind of got that from him. So I just chased everything. I mean, I played soccer, tennis, basketball, baseball, everything growing up. But I was a really, I loved basketball. That was probably one of my most competitive sports that I was good at. And then I was actually in the state of Louisiana. You don't have wrestling. So it's one of the negatives to that state for linemen, especially, is that you don't grow up. You see a lot of NFL linemen or wrestlers. You don't have wrestling, but you do have powerlifting. So I was a 6'7", 230-pound powerlifter slash power forward on the basketball team. Two things that just don't seem like they go along together. <laughs> but that was what my last three years of high school were. I, looked, I competed in powerlifting meets and played basketball. And I always say like those two things combined really is what helped me as I grew older. I got a foundation of strength and a foundation to learn how to move my feet and, and my conditioning level and things. And so I really think that had a lot more to do with my success level uh, as I moved on in sports than anything else. But wait, how do you go from being around that to playing offensive line your entire athletic career. I knew at a young age, I joked about always wanting to be a skill player, but I knew I was never going to have like a true uh, O-lineman body type, just like how I was built. I was really high hips, really long legs. Like I've always been, you know, built that way, a little bit more of a basketball player that put on weight. Mm -hmm. What's pretty wild about my career, I actually started my career less of an athlete than I ended it. And I was more really strong, really big, uh, could barely move, you know, just stiff. And I realized really young in my career, watching some of the guys I was around, that I thought it was really important to work on things that I didn't necessarily think were my strengths. I probably lifted less when I got in the NFL throughout my entire career than I did in college and in high school. Like in college and high school, I came from awesome programs. I had lifted a ton. I had a great foundation of strength. But that wasn't going to be what was going to keep me out of the NFL. It was going to be, could I move and could I find ways to function and move my body better? And so all those sports really came in because I kept them up. I would play basketball in the off seasons. I got into golf and, and people think, well, you're out running around like drinking beer, playing golf. Like, no, I, I didn't even play with people like I, I'm one of those people that, uh, you know, I, I'm trying to lose friends instead of game. So, I, I, you know, I, I'm joking, but I just, you know, I love being by myself. I love being on a golf course. I love just kind of checking out. So I would go to a golf course, put on headphones and I'd hit balls for hours just learning how to hit a golf ball. Like at six, seven, 350 at that time, like you're not supposed to be able to play golf. So I just love the challenge of like, all right, how can I become athletic enough and move well enough to, to shape golf balls and hit the kind of shots I want to hit? And that became an obsession. And I would spend my entire offseason work out in the mornings, play golf for a couple of hours, like just hitting on a driving range, go eat lunch, hang out with the wife and stuff. And then as soon as like, OK, hey, honey, I want to, we don't have anything to do. All right, I'm going back to the range. I hit more balls. And so I wouldn't play golf with people as much, but I would just practice all the time learning how to create that motion. Because to me, I related the game of golf really to be an offensive lineman, an offensive tackle in the sense that every time I played golf, I'm trying to hit as few shots as I can and have as many good swings as I can have. And even when I have a bad one, now the next one, I got to get right back and perform the technique. And so if you really think about the game of golf, you're chasing 72 as par. Well, as an NFL offensive lineman, you're chasing 60 to 80 to nowadays 90, 100 snaps. 
How many times can you be perfect technically and completely control your body and execute the block you want to execute? And so to me, the game of golf made sense because I'm trying to execute shots and I'm trying to do as many as I can correctly. And so I loved that chase and it became just an obsession. Um, so I, I love that. And so just being to me, creating more ways to be active and be different and not have to do it the way everybody else did it. I mean, I went off seasons. There was years I took on running challenges. Like I would try to see how many yards I could cover striding and walking through an off season. I, there was years that I did MMA. There's years I just did like hot yoga and powerlifted. And then there's years that, you know, I would pick different training methods and say, all right, I'm going to try and learn how to train like this guy that plays a different sport than me. And so I always took that as a way it kept it interesting and fun rather than, all right, I'm going to go take 50 sets and mm -hmm. like have my elbows in the perfect position and blah, blah, blah. Like I just, I thought that was so boring and it, and it wasn't something that was developing me as an athlete. And so to me, it was always chasing that new way I could like teach my body how to do something. The film I've always watched on you, you've always been a great technician as part of your ability to go explore and keep it fun and loose in those other areas because you already had a great foundation technically. Yeah, I think it's that. And I, I could visualize and play the game. And when you talk about technique, it's really about the ability to see what works and how you can block somebody and how you can pull off, you know, execution of who's really good at what they do and what techniques do they use? And then can you put your body in those positions? And I think that sometimes offensive line coaches and even in, in our profession, people think that's only done through the actual act of repetition of that, mm -hmm. that thing. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think sometimes it's also done by being in full control of your body and knowing that like if I can visualize and see somebody doing something a certain way and then I can get in that position and do it too. I could teach myself how to do it without having to do it through hitting a bag every day or holding a sandbag and punching it or whatever. I could just learn how to control my body and, the, and get it to do the things I want it to do. I, I always talk about this when I got to one year, I did nothing but well, for years, a couple of years, I did nothing but CrossFit. But I thought it was so wild to me that like as an offensive lineman, I could bench whatever I could squat, whatever. But I can't even like pull myself up this rope or like I can't do 50 pushups, you know, or like all these things that I'm just seeing like a dad in town do that's not even like a good lifter. They can control their body better than I can. And I'm supposed to be a professional athlete who's like so strong. And that really opened my eyes up to, hey, is it about lifting all the time or is it about learning how to control my body? And like if I can move my weight the right way, I can be a successful offensive lineman. And I think that's really when my career transitioned into not, hey, how powerful can I be for one snap? But hey, for every snap of this game, what kind of conditioning can I have? And if I'm 90% or 80% as strong as I used to be, but I'm 100% that every snap of the game, is that actually a better football player than being really strong, but I can only do it for four or five snaps at a time when I'm gasping for air? I mean, I started my career at 365, mm -hmm. ended my career playing at 315. You know, so it, it was a drastic change. It's funny. I think you and I were part of this era that was sort of transitioning out of the kind of old school, very strict Olympic style lifting for our sport. I heard crazy stuff like Troy Polamalu didn't even touch any iron. He was like only doing band stuff towards the back half of his career. So there was definitely guys who exactly same philosophy as you sort of figured out pretty quickly this stuff is not benefiting me in a way that's going to make me a better player. I guess my question to you is, is how do you do that 
on a team-wide level where there's sort of like there's these systems in place and these processes in place that sometimes only select guys get to sort of get around? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, to me, when I got in the NFL, it's almost like that was not even a discussion, like individualized what's better for you type stuff. And then when I got to the Rams in 17, I was so impressed that literally that was like their entire mantra. Like everybody almost has their own body development stuff, like your own mobility stuff. You have a chart every day that they make for you of like everything you individually need to work on and do and what lifts and specific things would be good for your body. I remember walking into their locker room in 2017 in free agency and my very first day OTAs and I go by the training room and there's like 50 guys in there, like just doing all kinds of stuff. And I was like, oh man, this team's so soft. Like what is going on? We got no chance. Like that's the first thing that's gotta change. All these dudes gotta get out of this training room. And then I realized after being there for a couple of days, like, oh, crap, no, they, they all have like these things that they've like been given to do. And this is like their deal every day of like what's going to be best for them. Like, crap, where's my list? You know, so I was like, man, that's awesome. So, yeah, I, I, you know, probably now I think it's a lot easier for that to happen than it was for us years ago, because I don't even think that existed or it was even a thought that you did anything other than that. But I always say to people, to your point about finding what's really specific for you is that one of the biggest things I see when I walk in a locker room and watch how guys train, I love to just observe. I'm a pretty quiet guy in the building because I just love to listen. I love to observe. And that's my favorite things in the world to do. And um, there's more guys that don't make it because they spend the majority of their time working on all the things they're either already good at Mm-hmm. or don't actually have anything to do with like their job. Like they're, they're really obsessed with how fast they can get through a bag drill or they're really fa- obsessed with this like odd thing that it's like, okay, but I'm watching you play and I'm watching your tape and like you're getting overpowered all the time. Or, you know, your technique is really bad with this certain block or this certain on a defense alignment, like your use of your hands or how you get off of blocks but all I ever see you do is like trying to show off how fast your feet are. And it's like, you already are fast. So you spend all your time working on something that's not actually going to improve you and not on the things they're going to. And so to me, I think at a young age, for whatever reason, I just kind of felt that. And I think one of the biggest reasons was one of those injuries that ends up being a blessing. And when I was a freshman, redshirt freshman at LSU, I had a back injury in the, in the summer where my back just like went out. I couldn't put my hand down to sprint or run or anything. And they ended up finding that I had like a little crack down near my tailbone. And they were like, listen, you can't squat anymore. So you got like no more squatting for you. And so I would do overhead, uh, like wooden, you know, pole squats basically for my workouts. And they changed everything. And like that year, like I felt the best I'd ever felt. Like I was like, man, I feel so good and athletic and I'm in shape and I'm doing like hundreds of pole squats every day instead of doing, you know, back then it was like sets of three with 600 on your back and people holding you up, you know, all that kind of crap. You still see some of that, but it was amazing. Like I felt so strong and athletic and powerful. And so that really was the very first time that I realized like, okay, there's different ways to get this accomplished. And if anything, for somebody like me, who's as stiff and tall and lanky as I was, like I opened up a whole new range of motion just through doing all these pole squats, which who's to say if that wasn't actually better for me than all the powerful lifts. And so I think that's the first time it kind of showed me that. And then as I got in the league and chased other guys who were really successful, I mean, I had the blessing of being around Willie Anderson Mm -hmm. and Jonathan Ogden was playing at that time still with Baltimore. 
getting to talk with those guys and realize like, hey, man, these guys barely lift weights anymore. They just like do Pilates and yoga and learn how to move their body and stuff. I mean, that's really like I, I the blessing to be around them, like really shot off that direction to me. And then I also took like not as a shot to them, but learned from what did I think ended their careers? And it was for both of them, like they were too heavy, like they, those guys, like they did do less lifting and stuff, but they were too big. And it was like, man, if they could have shaved weight throughout their career, like if you are going to not lift as much, at least shave your weight some to where you're carrying less load, that it helped them play longer. Because I didn't think either one of them quit because they couldn't play. It was more of just the, the injuries for the, so much weight. And so that's why my career, I focused on losing a couple pounds every single season of my career. That was my goal. I wanted to be a little lighter at, in December every year of my career. And that was one of the things that helped me with longevity. If you can go back to your rookie season and tell a young Andrew Whitworth he was going to be playing into his 40s, would he have believed you? No chance. I, I, not at all. I, I can actually vividly remember in my uh, guy I've had as a financial advisor my entire career. He was um, actually a, a teacher of mine and a coach of mine when I was a kid. I can literally remember I called him after like my second year in the NFL and I said, look, I'm, I think I'm going to try to get to five years, you know, <laughs> and then I signed an extension and I was like, all right, listen, you know, Kenny, like when I reach 30, there's no chance. I'm either 30 or 10 years, like I'm done. Like I, I'm not playing another down after 30, you know, and then you sign another deal and it's like, it just kept going and going. And so I, you know, it's pretty wild. Like the only thing that really ever changed for me is I was loving football. I can remember Justin Smith, my rookie year telling me, Hey, look, man, like you're going to be a really good football player and this stuff's going to start flying by. And sure enough, I looked up and it's like year seven, and I'm, I'm like, man, I, I still feel really good. And like, I don't know why I would stop. And then I just in my mind, I said, you know what? I want to play till I'm 40. I just threw out that random number. And one thing kind of started leading to another. And then I come to free agency in 17 and I signed the contract. I'm like, I'm not going to make it to 40, but it'd be cool to continue to play since Cincinnati can't tell me I couldn't. And I literally remember my wife telling Sean McVay, we went on our bye week, we became really close, you know, through my time here. And our bye week, we got to dinner together with him and his wife, Veronica. And my wife tells him at dinner, like, hey, it's been really cool to be here. But, you know, like, he's not going to play the second year of this contract. Like, there's no way. I mean, we just came out here because it'd be a really cool opportunity to be here and be a part of a change. And, you know, we're going to support you best we can this year. But this is it. And... <laughs> Four years later, uh, you know, to go out in SoFi to, to win a Super Bowl in SoFi, it's just insane. I mean, it's honestly, I can't even hardly fathom how it all happened. What year did you start getting practice reps off or, or full on practices off? Just talking a little bit more about longevity. Yeah, I, I, honestly, it was around the Patella time. So that was probably uh, 12 and 13. So I've been like my seventh, eighth, ninth years. Uh, right in that time, I had the Patella injury. And at that time, there was no such thing as like, you know, these veterans missing practice as much no. like time off, like missing a day. But the doctor, because of my tendonitis, was like, look, he, like he won't make it through a season. So let's just go like one day a week, like Wednesday, he'll practice Thursday. He'll be off Friday. He can practice till he gets a day to recover his knee. And so we did it and I played at a high level and then I had the surgery and I missed the opener. And I came back and we did that same schedule and I played really high, high level. And they're like, well, man, maybe this is just the best way to get years out of you. And lucky for me, I was under contract for a really long time there. And so it was like, man, you know, a place like Cincinnati, they don't waste money. And so it was like, hey, let's just do whatever it takes to get him through his contract and to be successful for us. 
And that started the trend. And then when I got to LA, which is the crazy part, I explained that to Sean McVay and them. And they're like, well, wait a minute, you don't practice like, but you know, so many days a week. I'm like, yeah, that's just how I do it. Like, and so we started a program in camp where all 10 of our like veteran veterans, like in training camp, you went on one day off the next, no matter, even we weren't even doing two days, but that's how we practice. So he would set the schedule to where the vets would always be off just because I would be off and he didn't want me to be the one guy missing practice. It'd be all the established veteran guys would have a day off. And that became our trend and how we did things. The first couple of years I was there, you still see now like Aaron Donald, certain guys like get rest days because that's the system that they believe in now. And, and I think it's interesting because it's kind of like it takes certain players or certain situations for teams to realize like, OK, there's other ways we could do this and maybe even have more success. You're so right, though. It also depends on the leadership that you have in the coaches offices, because you know, some coaches are really good about being consistent regardless of how the team's doing and sticking with the philosophies or the sort of standards that they set forward. And and some are not so great and they get put in a pressure cooker and they start sort of doing guesswork or I don't know if manipulation is the right word, but some coaches are really good at guilting guys into maybe coming back too early or to sort of abandoning what they were promised. And I've seen a good mix of all of them. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. When I first got here with Sean McVay, I thought it was one of the most impressive things I'd seen is that he came in as this new coach, 30 years old, youngest coach ever. And when we started training camp, and this would just blow your mind, like he literally, like he just put the trust in the training staff and their sports science team and what they said. And so the GPS things, if a if a receiver reached a certain amount of yards that they had planned practice for, like practice stopped. Like it was no like, we have to get these plays in. It was all driven by, hey, this is what they say is the best way to get these guys ready. Like there's only we had to progress ourselves in training camp to so many yards, then that's exactly how we'll do it. And I just thought that was like, wow, OK, like I've never seen a coach like actually listen to anything the training staff or the sports science team is saying has to be done. And we would literally blow the whistle and end training camp practice. And I'm like, well, we had eight more plays left. And he's like, oh, well, you know, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup are at you know, so, so many thousand yards. So practice is over. Like, perfect. I'm, I'm in. This is great. This is right up my alley. Was that a weird dynamic being older than your head coach? You know, it was definitely different. It, you know, it's really fun for him and I now because it's it's grown into now that we're not player coach anymore, like just big brother, little brother. And like, you know, just a lot of leaning on each other in life in general and um, throughout our time together. And so that, that part's been really fun for me. I mean, you know, I look at uh, all the coaches across the league. I laugh like between O'Connell and LaFleur and Shane Waldron and all these guys like they're they're more like buddies and friends that we spent time with. Um, you know, to me. And so it's it's been really neat to see all those guys grow across the league from when we all came in in 17. And I was like the old man, you know, in the group. And so it's uh, it's definitely was a was a different dynamic for me. But uh, I had some really cool people in that group in 17 that, uh, you know, Sean got married this this offseason. And we were all back together. It was like everyone from that 17 staff and players and everything else. And uh, it was just neat to see some of those faces and where they are now and, and that kind of stuff. But it was definitely a different dynamic getting to know him and, and how young he really was, you know, because regardless of how talented you are and how special you are as a coach, like there's still things you just don't know because you haven't been around that long and you haven't been the guy. You haven't been in charge like that position at head coach is a totally different animal. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of great position coaches that will never be head coaches because mm -hmm. they can't handle the things that you'd actually have to do to be a head coach. 
Um, so to watch him at that age, uh, get a grasp of it and be who he was, it was really fun to watch. What about Andrew Whitworth? How, what kind of head coach would Andrew Whitworth be? This isn't obviously, this is, uh, we're in new territory now, Andrew, this is not out of the realm. This is not out of the realm for you at all. Give me a couple Andrew Whitworth, head coach Andrew Whitworth uh, philosophies that that you would sort of install day one. Yeah, I think, you know, I loved when we came in in 17 to be a, get to be a part of that a little bit, like with Sean, like some of the things he wanted to do and instill in our team was also things that I think it's one of the reasons we hit it off so well. It's a lot of what I believe in. Like we had one rule in LA, like the entire time I was there, like we didn't have a board of like rules, things you had to do. We had one rule. It was be on time. So if you're on time to a meeting, like you can wear whatever the crap you want. You want to come in in your special designer clothing, you do it. You come in in Rams gear, that's up to you. Like whatever you want to wear, wear it, but be on time because that's respectful to the people around you and the people who are doing things. And so to me, it's really about that. Let people be themselves. Let them be whoever it is they are. But as long as who they are and who they're trying to be has to do with us being successful and being willing to chase success together, and pursue it in any way possible, then that's all that matters. And, and believe it or not, in the NFL, winning cures everything. And that's just a fact. Even when you win, everything's the right thing that you're doing. And when you aren't, it, it's the other direction. Shoot, we used to go early every away trip. You know, you go to a day early since it's West Coast to East Coast. My entire time there, until 2018, that was like the secret to our success. Like we had this great road record in 17 and 18, and that was pitched as like the success thing. And then we go to Chicago on Sunday night football and lay an egg and get beat. And to this day, they fly out on Saturday afternoons, like, you know, no more Friday trips. Like that's the only reason we lost, you know? So it, it's that kind of thing, right? I mean, that, that will always be that way in the league. Like there's one way you do things until it doesn't work. And then all of a sudden it was not the reason you did it. So that'll never change. That's for sure. I've had a thesis I've been circling for some time. In my experience, the best teams I've been on have always been a really great balance of young, talented players and really savvy vets. I don't know what that balance is or where those positions are. It's That's one of those maybe feel things, but I'm curious. Certainly the team that you were on that won the Super Bowl had a good mix of guys, yourself included. Yeah. What does your experience say about that? And, and what do you think the balance of that is? Yeah, I think it's really important, especially some of your like main positions. I, th- I think you need, you know, in the offensive line, like you've got to have some kind of veteran presence in there. I don't, uh, does every guy have to be a vet? No, but you need presence there. I mean, I look at, to me, a great example of that is, you know, has Tua played really great this year? He has. Have they added some awesome weapons? They really have. But to me, I don't think enough is said about Teron Armstead going mm-hmm. there and their production and the way he plays and the leader and just the dude I know he is. You know, sometimes we forget in the NFL that not only are certain players really good, but they make people around them really good. And they, they improve people around them by either the confidence they put in them the little information and tidbits they give them, or maybe just, hey, setting the example for them of like, all right, if this guy's, you know, does it at this level, then there's my new bar. Instead of me chasing like, oh man, I'm just trying not to make a mistake. Now I'm chasing like the best player on our line, Toronto Armstead, the standard he plays with, that's my new standard. And so I think that's one of the things when I first became a Ram, you know, we had a saying on the standards of standard. And that was like every day, that was our mantra. Like who's gonna set the standard for the day? And and I think those things sometimes get overlooked is like the ability of certain players to make their group better, not just them play well. And, and I think teams sometimes chase that guy who's a good player on his own. 
but he doesn't necessarily improve people around him. He kind of just does his own deal. And those guys aren't usually very successful when they move teams. Like they really aren't. They aren't the reason a team is successful. And so I think to me, it's that. It's that balance of making sure not only do you have vets, but you got the kind of vets that that's really who what they're about. They're about not maybe not their play and their requirement, but how do they make the guys around them better? Um, that's really what drives you. And also they are willing to be coached. They're willing to be challenged because they want the room to see like, hey, I can take on a challenge and right. dominate it. And I'll set the example for that. Year 10, I felt like I had a hard time relating to some of the young guys coming to the league. In your 40s, what's that relationship like with young guys trying to show them the way, you know, especially when they come in, you know, most of them are single. They want to play football and and go out and have a good time. And it's like, you know, you got multiple kids. You've been married a long time. It's it's tough to kind of find those groups too late in your career. What were those relationships like for you with some of the young guys coming in as you got in uh, close to your 40s? Yeah, you know, pretty wild. I can remember over the years, the uh, things I would hear, as I said, I'm a good observer in the locker room, uh, just changed drastically year by year. And I can remember my last year, uh, one of my locker mates, he was a young guy and was going to have to play that week a lot in the game. And we're Saturday walkthrough, we get done. And I overhear him like talking to one of the other guys like on practice squad. And they're like, man, you excited about tomorrow? He's like, yeah, I am. But I'm trying to decide what I'm going to do. A lot of my buddies are going dirt biking in Palm Springs, and I think I'm going to go ride dirt bikes with them, but I'm kind of worried about the game tomorrow. And I was just sitting there in my locker like, I'm 39. I am trying to go put my feet as high as I can get them and just pray that I make it to tomorrow and just hope that when we flip the coin and I wake up tomorrow, I actually feel good enough to walk out on the turf and play in a football game. And this guy's discussing whether or not he's going to go ride dirt bikes all afternoon and play tomorrow and start for us. And it just blew me away uh, of just how much distance there was between my mentality of even moving until the game started and his. And so I think over the years, yeah, it was a challenge, but I thought that was really a lot of fun. It was challenging, but it was fun. And, and, uh, you know, getting to know these young guys and and their world's totally different. I mean, social media, how it's driven Twitter, everything else, the pressures, the things put on them is it's a different world than what I walked in in 06 when, you know, you could walk in a bar and knock somebody out and people probably didn't even know that happened. You know, I mean, that's just the reality. So, um, I think it's just a different world. And so getting to know those guys and some of the things that's in their head, um, it is different and it's different ways of leading them. Sean and I would talk about that all the time. There's different ways these guys have to be challenged. I can't just ignore social media. I can't ignore fan perception anymore because this is a different era. These guys actually do feel this every yeah. single day when they go home because that's their life. You were saying something interesting. I It's the one thing I don't miss about the game is the sort of uh, waking up the next day like you've been in a car accident. And you envy the young guys who can do exactly what you said, which is they're talking about going paintballing or riding dirt bikes. And you're just praying that you're going to be able to get up on Sunday and go out there and somehow trick yourself into playing at a high level all over again. I, I Probably year eight or nine, I started really feeling that where like Thursday, Friday, I was starting to feel normal. And then that back half was like, you were still trying to feel somewhat okay leading up to warmups. Oh yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, I you know, all the time with the young lines, they would ask me like, hey, at what point did it change? And I was like, man, listen, I it's been so, it's been so different for so long now. I can't remember... 
like I used to love like when you'd have a practice and you'd work your butt off and you'd be sore as crap the next day or a game and you're like, man, I am sore. And then like, boom, you'd have that Wednesday where like, ooh, I feel good. Like I am frisky. I want to go hit somebody. Like I can't remember the last half of my career like ever feeling that way again. Like I never had a day where it was like, ooh, I'm frisky. I want to hit something. Like never felt it. And so that would be like the most draining part, honestly. My last five years the most draining part would always be like, man, I never have those days where like, it's just fun. Like, it's always like crap. I got to get my knee right. I get this ankle right. My shoulder's kind of hurting. Oh, all of a sudden my left elbow's swollen. I don't even know what happened. It's just swollen, like out of nowhere. You know, it's just stupid crap where it's just every day it's like in some kind of nuisance. But yeah, I think to me, that's what, that's what, you know, really at the end of my time, like I, I didn't retire this year because I didn't feel like I could play another season. I really retired because it got to the point where I had to miss so many different things or like I couldn't mm-hmm. practice. I couldn't do like, it's just like, man, I can never be the example. I can yeah. never like, you know, show the guys how it's done. Like that's just draining. Like I don't like, you know, it's cool to go play well on Sunday and be with the, like, that's fun, but I love the process. And then not to ever be a part of the process anymore, hardly, and to never be able to make it through the process um, is just disheartening. And so uh, funny you bring that up. I, I literally like two months ago, I get out of my bed and I was telling somebody like I'm realizing I get up now in the mornings and like I still get up like as if I was playing and like I'm like, wait a minute, I can walk. Like, it's crazy. I'm used to feeling like, man, I can't even put my feet in the ground. And I got to like hold on to the walls to make it to the bathroom in the morning just to like feel okay and take a little pressure off. Now I just walk out of my bed and I'm like, I feel good. Like, is this okay? Is this right? Is there something wrong with me? It's so funny. Every offensive lineman has this same routine where it's like you're getting out of bed like you just got done with surgery every morning and you do this kind of like engine light check where you're trying to make sure all systems are a go before you start your day. And it takes a minute. It is. It's it's hilarious. And, and yeah. When you get done, it's like, oh, thank goodness. I want to just ask you a little bit about the tackle position. Was it year two that you switched from tackle to guard for a few seasons? Yeah. So I my first year, Levi Jones got injured. I played left tackle for 12 games and then the next year he came back I want to say week four of the season or week five and uh, played left tackle for the rest of that year Uh, and then the next year he got hurt again and then I then I moved to left tackle for good what's the difference in in the time that you spent in both that you feel like are similar but not the same at all I think the only thing that makes it a little bit different for me is being as, as long a reach as I had and being as strong as I was when I got to play guard and it's big, it, when I played guard, like there just wasn't a lot of space for guys to, to do anything. So I'm like right on them. I can latch on to bigger dudes. At that time, that was when, when big D tackles were huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't see the Aaron Donalds of the world at that time. You, occasionally a team would have an explosive little guy, but not really. There's more just big dudes. And so for me, it's being really big and strong and really long arms, like I was kind of able to, it, guard was easy to me. Like I, I used to always say the difference to me would be at left tackle, I'm like riled up with anxiety and like, man, I got every step's got to be perfect. Everything like I'm got, I'm worried about every technical step. Whereas at guard, I just felt like it was the wild, wild west. Like, hey, man, like I'm going to just throw a punch. I'm going to swing. I'm going to snatch this dude. Like we're just going to fight every play. And it was just fun. Like I was like, man, I, I got 
a guy on this side of me and a guy on this side of me. Like, this is great. Uh, I'll just push everybody down if he he goes to the side of me. So, you know, I was just kind of just winging it when I was in there because I never really played guard in college or anything. So I still think tackles harder. But I think in the right systems, like guard can be just as challenging because the defenses do a much better job of isolating players now and not just running the same defensive front you're going to see every week, which is what I felt like it was my first couple of years in the league. It's like every team, they either play a 3-4 or they play a four-down look and you know the games they can play and that's it. Now you play teams and it's just hybrid, like all over the place all the time. I do feel like, though, there are some players that have a better foundation than others. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on the guys that definitely needed the technique that maybe weren't as sound as somebody like you, who now, uh, thanks to Jeff Saturday and uh, the amazing leadership when he was part of the union, really cut down some of the time that some of those younger guys could get with a with a coach or a system do you not see any value in, in sort of some of these guys needing some extra time either because of the systems they came from in college or just because of not having a great foundation uh, coming into the league? Well, I think you really look at it. I think that's part of it, right? I think sometimes we we make it on just what your NFL practice schedule is or what mm-hmm. your requirements in the NFL are, but really the college game is completely changed. And so when I was at LSU, we ran basically the same plays I did when I was in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. You know, now in the pros, like you watch some of these college games, it's like, man, a lineman like touches a guy for a half a second. Like there's really nothing else to do. Like just punch the dude and the play's over. Or, you know, there's just not a lot of requirement on them to block very long or sustain blocks for a long time. I look at tackles, especially like it's like we get these young tackles and it's like they feel like two punches stop moving and just let the guy run like it's going to do anything. And I'm like, dude, like you have to block for so much longer than that. Like that's not going to work. And so you're having to learn all new mentality of the position and how long it takes to execute your block. And then on top of that, I think we overreact to some things, right? So to me, like we did do some great things with practice schedules and everything else in the league, but I hate that like guys can't talk to their coach supposedly or work with their coach during the dead time before OTAs. Like, I'm not saying you should be out there doing drills, but to be able to like literally just come in and kind of talk to them and philosophize with them about who you should be as a player and watching tape of that. Because to me, that's what's really missed. What's really happens is, is during OTAs and during camp, it's so little time that you're not able to individualize guys. Like you're, you're right. it's just how fast can we get all these plays in? How fast can we watch the tape from coach? Like coach wants you to see this play and see how to do it differently. And there's no time to go, hey, all right, guys, let's watch all the left guards in the NFL. And, and I want, you know, you, this specific left guard. Let, let's see who you most kind of are similar to and some traits that you have. And let, let's watch this guy and study what makes him good. And now you apply that to your game. Because to me, to me, that's like one of the most things that to me was the most important in my career is that I used to love Friday afternoons. I'd go to the team room after every Friday practice and I'd watch every legend left tackle that ever played the game. I'd be bugging the video guy. I want tape of Munoz. I want tape of Baselli. I want find me this stuff. And I love to go watch those guys play and just see if there's anything that I could see that I liked or didn't like about them. And and to me, that's what guys just don't get the time to do. They're not allowed to go to the building. They're not, you, you can't be in there all the time doing that kind of stuff. That's the, the, the part to me. It's not that you have to practice more. And that's what I hate. It's, it's like, oh, they're getting limited reps at practice. It's like, no, they're getting limited reps to get taught. 
and to actually individually get specified, hey, man, this is the player you need to become, specifically mm-hmm. just you. There's just no time for that anymore. So I, I just think there's different ways to attack it than just saying, hey, O-linemen aren't getting enough reps. I think that we got to be solution-oriented. Let's go find solutions uh, that can be effective to making guys better football players. You can listen to Block Forever and other sports content on Audible. Audible is the home of storytelling, audiobooks, originals, podcasts, and more. Start listening free at audible.com. A big thanks to Big Wit, Andrew Whitworth, one of my all-time favorite guys I've encountered in my time in the NFL. Thanks, Wit, for giving me some time. I know you're super busy. Also, I wish I would have had some of your career advice late in my career. Maybe I could have played a little bit longer. Again, quick reminder, Niners, Seahawks, as always, Thursday night, Amazon Prime. I think that covers it for my end. Hope you enjoyed the show. Learned a few things. I know I did. See you all next week. This has been an Audible original production of Block Forever, produced by Fresh Produce and Audiorama. Matt Waxman is our lead producer. Sound design and edit by Kenny Holmes. Our producers are Kenny Holmes and Matt Schrader. Production assistant, Ben Gerstel. And our talent booker is Kristen Dunn. For Audible, executive producer, Pat Shaw. For Audiorama, the executive producer, well, that's me, Ryan Khalil. For Fresh Produce Media, executive producers, Colin Moore, Joe Killian, and Jason Ross. Head of production, Elena Bobbins. Our supervising producer is Jamila Zara-Williams. Production coordinator, Henry Koch. And our production manager is Herminio Ochoa. Special thanks to Powerhouse Capital and Mikey Fowler. And I'm your host, Ryan Khalil. Copyright 2022 by Audiorama Inc. Sound recording copyright 2022 by Audible Originals LLC. Listener.